This is an AMI podcast. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Friday, which means the news panel gets together. Welcoming back to the show, Michelle McQuig and Joita Gupta. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, everybody. And hello, Joita. Hi, everyone. Three topics on deck here. Lots to get to. Let's jump right in. The Vatican is holding a three-week meeting I thought AMI was bad with meetings. The Vatican is holding a three-week meeting about the future of the Catholic Church. The issue of same-sex marriage will be on the agenda. James Longman explains. Five of the most conservative cardinals have written to Francis saying they feel that the Synod was sowing confusion and they've asked for clarity on same-sex unions. But the Pope is clearly keen to tackle these criticisms head-on. He published his response, making it clear he wouldn't stand in the way of blessings of same-sex unions in church. That is not marriage. It's important to make that distinction, but it is still a major reversal. I do agree with James Longman. There is a distinction there, but fundamentally mm -hmm. the conversation here is about same-sex marriage in the church. Joita, why did the topic jump out to you? Well, actually it jumped out at my husband, but we both thought it was a fascinating topic because it gets at a number of issues that have been uh, tumultuous or unsettled within the church, especially the rights of LGBTQS2 uh, people and their sense of belonging in the church. And beyond the, the the implications for the church itself, whether or not there might be a split down the line, how is the Pope going to navigate trying to make everybody happy in this situation, there are also, I suspect, um, implications that go beyond the church. And I would be very interested to tackle some of those. Mm -hmm. Suffice it to say, the issue of LGBTQS2 communities uh, and their rights and privileges within the Catholic Church and indeed other churches has been a long-standing and dare I say controversial point. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. There's a lot of meat on the bone and you set up the angles really nicely there, Joita. But Michelle, let's start with just the baseline because this is an institution mm -hmm. that's almost 2,000 years old. It does not move quickly. To me, the story represents a little bit of progress, but I want to say, like with the caveat, just a little bit of progress that's still way behind the broader conversation on some of these issues. But th that's what this represents to me. What does it represent to you? Yeah, very similar in that I, I have to say in researching this topic, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole looking at the, the various takes people have on Pope Francis. And it's it's very clear once you really dive in how divisive he has been with the Catholic Church. Um, people who are more conservatively inclined seem to think he's here to bring about the end of the institution as we know it. They fight every bit of liberalization of which this is a pretty significant one. This is, uh, and he's been trying, he's tried to strike a friendlier tone to LGBTQ parishioners and, and worshipers for a long time now, but this is the boldest stroke on that front. Um, going back to how divisive he is, his, his conservative critics will hate this move, undoubtedly, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of people who have been pushing for him to do a whole lot more. Uh, there's been absolutely no language welcoming trans people, for instance. So as you say, Dave, this is a small amount of progress for sure, uh, a huge amount of progress perhaps within the context of the church and more than a lot of people within that institution are comfortable with. Mm. But uh, it, it's an, it, to me, we ask about what it stands for. It's, it's sort of another effort for me, for Pope Francis to cement his legacy as a reformer, which he's been trying to do since his papacy began. 
Yeah, Juita, so I think there's a little bit of consensus here with me and Michelle in regards to uh, inc like incremental progress that's probably yes. still a little bit out of touch, but progress is progress and it's important to acknowledge progress when it happens. Fundamentally, organized religion is about outreach and bringing more people into the tent, so that's probably part of this as well. But what does the story broadly represent to you? Yeah, I think incremental progress is the the theme for the day, for sure. And I think that while it's a long way removed from the sanctification of same-sex marriage, uh, it's still a, a step in the a direction away from saying that same-sex unions are a sin. So progress is, is still progress, however incremental it might be. What took me, what, what was surprising for me, and maybe this is just an indication of my own limited worldview, is that often when we live in North America, especially li living in Canada, and we see Pride Month and LGBTQS2 parades, we are might think that the question of LGBTQS rights are more or less settled. And nothing could be further from the truth, especially when you consider uh -huh. the reach of the Catholic Church and the fact that there that there are many countries in which the question of the rights of LGBTQS2 people remain deeply unsettled. And I think this issue really brought that distinction. That, as I said earlier, earlier in the conversation, it really does speak to the push and pull between the edicts of, and teachings of the church and societal expectations. So there's a lot of things that you can unpack there for sure. Uh, but I think the key takeaway for me in terms of what the story represents is the fact that the question of LGBTQS2 rights is not as settled as we might otherwise be led to believe mm, yeah i think i think that's a that's a really strong observation as well let's uh, engage in some reckless speculation that uh, dabbles in a bit of history the catholic church has gone through some separations and schisms before probably the two most notable would be the separation of the roman catholic church and the eastern orthodox church in sort of the 1500 years ago uh, category of time and then again about uh, 600 years ago the protestant reformation kicking in as well so there have been official divides and splits in the church before based around ideology and theology michelle how could this issue you mentioned that it's pope francis has been somewhat divisive how could this potentially lead to an official schism or split within the church well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the schisms you talked about have happened over uh, over less, one could argue, than the issue at hand here. But that said, when I was doing my sort of research uh, dive yesterday, there have been people hollering schism since Pope Francis took office. Mm. Um, so, so that that threat has existed for some time. Uh, there are apparently a hardcore within the Catholic Church who who are really intent on bringing back, say, things like the Latin Mass, and and they, that hardcore represents a whole lot other uh, of other views that the, the Pope has been at odds with over time. So that faction has existed, has gotten emboldened. Apparently, there have been some active efforts by American bishops to push back on him at times over the course of his papacy. Um, so is schism impossible? Absolutely not. But I will say that that, that threat has seems to have been in the background from the start, and this is not his first controversial move. So I think it seems a bit unlikely. Also, I'm a bit struck by the fact that he's been trying to diversify the base of cardinals with people from other countries to try and broaden the tent and make things a little bit less Eurocentric. Mm -hmm. So it will remain to be seen, too, if any of the new additions he's been making to the, the Catholic administration, so to speak, in recent years will help maybe uh, limit that possibility. Juita, what's your speculation on the possibility of an official schism? 
Well, if there's an official schism, it's not going to happen tomorrow. These things take a long time to develop. But if you look at what happened in the 1960s with the Second Vatican Council, at that point, you had some people in reaction to some of the reforms brought into the Catholic Church say that they're going to split off and form their own, quote unquote, so-called traditional churches, but they're pretty small in scale. Um, you did also see something very similar happen in the Anglican community, where again, with reforms like the like the willingness to ordain women, uh, led to people uh, in more conservative parts of the world turning around and saying, uh, "We're not going to follow the authority of the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury." I think mm. what you're going to see the probability of a schism or some kind of a splinter away from the Catholic Church and the papacy goes up a lot more in countries where there is a more conservative hierarchy of the church built in, and they're more likely to support a move away from the church or even there I would caution because uh, those who are conservative or traditionalists uh, do value uh, the papacy and they do value the historicity, mm -hmm. the, the historic yeah. sort of oh, relevance time, of the Catholic Church yeah. before they say you know what we're gonna going to go our own way they're going to likely uh, think long and hard about that decision one of the things that's interesting though is that for all that uh Pope Francis has tried to reform the church and, diversif and diversify it and push back with some liberal ideas. He is 86 years old and not in the best of health. And so there might be some people who are willing to just, uh, I know this is a nasty thing to say, <laughs> but they're willing out. to wait it out wait a little out, bit yeah. and see and if, see if somebody more conservative comes along and rolls back some of those provisions. We did see that happen in the past where uh, you have uh, people who've been more uh, conservative follow along behind someone who was more liberal and roll back some mm -hmm. of those provisions. Like John 23 was a quite a, quite liberal. Um, and then, of course, John Paul II were, and the Benedict. John yeah. Paul II came along and he was less conservative. So, yeah, you've got those people just sitting it out and saying, he's 86. You know what? Do what you want. But yeah. probably somebody more conservative will come along. Uh, the implications outside the church are interesting because, Joita, you mentioned that when we're talking a lot of 2SLGBTQ plus rights, in a lot of cases, this has become quite political. It's been quite polarizing. There have been a lot of, uh, even not far from Canada and even within Canada, people really staking their claims around some issues here. So it does at least strike me as a little bit of a guiding light when a major institution at least signals something that's closer to inclusion. But again, I don't. I don't quite see the parallel. I don't quite see the exact parallel here because I think the conversation going on in the political sphere and the conversation happening here are sort of on a 15-year delay. I think a lot of the issue around marriage and union, that was sort of settled, at least to a degree in the Canadian and American perspective in the last 10, 15 years. So the church is a little behind on that now. Now I'd say we're talking more a little bit more about gender identity in these conversations and more like issues of access to healthcare or equity in healthcare. So I think the conversation is a little bit further, but Michelle, I do see it as at least a smidgen of a guiding light when a major religious institution does at least put up the flag for inclusion a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm with you in that to me, this is part of the, the, a very interesting and, and rich and varied backdrop of efforts to grapple with LGBTQ rights. Uh, we've seen those rights under fierce attack and actively rolled back in some places. Uh, we've seen the fears that the uh, Roe versus Wade Supreme Court decision in the States overturning that, that the fear that that ushered in that more of, those, of their rights would be under attack now that abortion protections were gone. Um, we've seen massive attacks against, against trans people. And again, they haven't been part of the Catholic conversation here. 
Um, you're right, Dave. I think we're, we've been talking about unions with the church, and now we're into sort of the next generation issue. We're talking about parental rights, quote unquote, here and gender expression, all these kinds of issues, access to public spaces, not just access to health, all kinds of questions around those sorts of things. So it's the, the fact that this issue has come up again in the Catholic Church almost sort of bucks the broader trend of, of having sort of more regressive measures taking place elsewhere while this old institution starts down a, a potential path of progress. Uh, but it all kind of feels a bit uh, like we're stuck in the past yeah, around yeah. all these things. Uh, Joita, yeah. implications outside the church? Well, I think the implications are likely to be more broadly felt in places like Latin America or Africa or even parts of Asia where the society is a little more conservative in its views and there are relatively few uh, rights for LGBT people compared to, say, here in North America, uh, but where the church continues to be very dominant in the lives of people. So I think any sort of uh, statement by uh, by the Pope will have greater ripple effects in places like that. I suspect the conversation is a little bit behind the times in places like North America and Europe, but it is still significant, especially for Catholics. Mm -hmm. um, but it was interesting to see, as with a lot of negotiations, how uh, it almost feels like Pope Francis was trying to keep everybody happy, therefore making everybody unhappy in the process. Um, I know that's a gross oversimplification, but uh, you know, just if you go back and look at some of the nitty gritties of this, uh, it's a real endeavor to try and strike a middle ground on, I think, an issue that has long been very divisive. Uh, against the backdrop of all of this, though, or, or or forming a context to all of this, though, is the fact that church membership in North America and participation in religious institutions has been declining over the decades. There's a lot of research to back this up. And yeah, I'm very can, curious. The, 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 latest, the latest census definitely showed that. That was actually a topic on the panel. I think it was uh, Michelle, was it you, me, and Megan Gilmore who covered that one when the census came out, or was it the three of us? Uh, okay. Doesn't matter. It was, it was a while ago. It was a while ago. But yeah, Juita, the census data backs that up completely. The, the, the yeah, religious suspect, affiliation is way down. Yeah, yeah. And I suspect that's really the, at least in North America, that's a way to try and attract younger or younger people back to the church and get them to attend again. Whether or not they'll be successful is a whole other conversation. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you for bringing that topic to the table, Joita. Coming up after the break, the conversation stays in Europe. England's Prime Minister is considering an anti-smoking policy. It involves raising the smoking age by one year every year. How effective do you think this policy will be? The panel will weigh in with its thoughts. This is Now with Dave Brown and the Now News panel on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.